from the book of Psalms. Blessed are they that keep God's testimonies and seek him with their whole heart. In the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The 20th century theologian Karl Barth legendarily said that a preacher ought to write a sermon with a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other. Two things about that. Legendarily typically means, I didn't say this, but wouldn't it be great if I did? The second is, in recent days, I've been finding it much easier to set the newspaper aside. I can't tell you if that's, beca- if that's because it's become easier or harder to speak the good news of Jesus Christ into this world, but it's something that's become more important, for sure. Because it's getting far too easy for every sermon to turn into a political statement. Not that that's incongruent with Scripture itself, of course, but there's always something in the news each week that is worth talking about and worth considering in the light of the Scriptures that we hear each week. Discussions that, for better or for worse, need to be had things that need to be debated, though they may be deeply polarized, but cut to the very core of who we are. Who we are not just as citizens of one country or another, not just followers of one particular partisan ideology or another, not just practitioners of one faith or another, but things that need to be talked about because of the fundamental humanity that unites all of us. But yet here we are, and the word political has become strangely more political in the last few years. With each passing day, it becomes harder for any person to say, I'm not political, but... This week alone, as tensions have escalated between our government and the indigenous people of this land, a situation that isn't about a pipeline project at all, but about the integrity of our commitment to reconciliation... This week, as teachers across the province advocate for what they believe is best and contend with a government that's doing the same. This week, as our neighbors to the south live in the shadow of a failed impeachment trial and a war with Iran and democratic primaries, meanwhile each check and balance of human power rots away, there will always be something to talk about. So newspaper in hand, or not, we're all faced with that challenge of how to understand our own lives, how to understand our own belief in Jesus Christ in the light of the world around us. How timely, then, is the gospel that we've just heard this morning, encouraging us to reflect on how faithfully we face those challenges. As I reflected on this gospel reading this week, for whatever reason, I couldn't get that image out of my head of two siblings. It could be because I'm the youngest of three. That might be why. Couldn't get that image out of my head of two siblings in an argument, one holding their finger about an inch from the other's forehead saying, I'm not touching you. I'm not touching you. You can't get mad. I'm not touching you. A clear example of people walking right up to the line but not crossing it of stepping on the rules and boundaries of life, but just not breaking them. 
As we continue reading in Matthew's Gospel from the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus turns in today's passage into a discussion about the law. Last week, we heard him say in the Gospel, I tell you, I have come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Not one stroke of a letter of the law will pass away, Jesus said. Well, continuing with that thought in today's Gospel text, we find Jesus taking and talking about the law that his audience would have known well the Ten Commandments, and revealing within them a deeper meaning. And that's where that image of the two siblings crept into my head. Because in reinterpreting and redefining the law that they knew so well and that we know so well, Jesus reveals that distinction that we would probably call the difference between the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. Because Jesus goes beyond merely the legalistic, merely He goes beyond that line that you can't cross and talks more about the living sense of the law. You have heard it said, Jesus says, that you shall not murder. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you will be liable to judgment. If you insult a brother or sister, you may find yourself before the court. Should you call another a fool, you may be subject to the hell of fire. Clearly, Jesus is not mincing words here. In fact, he's really deeply upping the ante on the law. It's not just the taking of someone's life that presents a problem, Jesus says, but giving into those oh-so-human tendencies that are opposed to kingdom values. Jesus does the same with the commandments against adultery, which by extension covers divorce. Well, thumbtack that one for another day. Jesus expands on the law on bearing false witness, and in fact, not just false witness, but bearing any kind of witness at all, swearing to any kind of testimony in the name of heaven or earth or self. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Swear by no one and nothing else, but have the integrity of your own word. These Jesus says, these are the hallmarks of living by the law. Not that you successfully made it through the day without killing anybody. Not that you successfully managed not to commit adultery today. And not either that we were able to walk up to that line and step right on it but not cross it. But rather that in all ways we strive to be a true witness to what it means to have life in Christ. So if we left it all there, we would have a fairly good foundation for a new understanding of these ancient commandments. Jesus has set the pattern. We can take the rest of them and figure the rest out ourselves. But there's a deeper intention that Jesus is encouraging us to find. There's a particular pattern to what Jesus is saying in each interpretation of the commandments that he addresses that reaches far beyond just our own successful adherence to the law. Look closely at the examples that Jesus offers in this reading from the Sermon on the Mount. Look closely at each example with each commandment, and you'll see that each one reveals within it the idea of a broken relationship. A broken relationship with the people around us, with the world, with people we know and people we don't know. The people with whom we get angry with and call fools the people who are dehumanized by the relationship that desire entails, 
that culture of mutual distrust that comes from an overly litigious society where we have no relationship with each other, we can have no relationship with God. Where, oh where, can we see this in action? Well, for the second week in a row, over to you, Paul. For as long as there is quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh rather than the spirit? For when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, Are you not merely human? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So says Paul in his letter to the first letter to the Corinthians. We've been hearing from this letter for a few weeks now, and so by now we have that clear picture of a church divided, divided by quarrels, claims of superiority and greater wisdom, frivolous lawsuits within the community of the church. And as the letter goes on, the worst kind of Eucharistic practice and marital relationships that make Jesus' words about divorce today seem meek and mild. This is a community that can't even agree on who the head of the church is, having made messiahs out of those who converted and baptized them. The letter to Corinth matches up very nicely with the Sermon on the Mount. If the Sermon on the Mount is a lecture course, The city of Corinth is the lab. Everything that Jesus warns of in the Sermon on the Mount is playing out day by day in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. So Paul redirects them. Paul writes to them and points them back toward relationship, both inward and upward. We are God's servants, Paul says, working together. You are God's field, God's building. Our relationship with God is necessarily, irrevocably tied to our relationships with each other and with the world. The way in which we live with each other is at the core of our Christian witness, the way that we work with one another, the way that we disagree with one another, the way that we commit to one another, the way that we serve as leaders, as hosts, as bearers of God's grace, It's the whole ball game. And so back to the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is unambiguous. Jesus is not mincing words, interpreting the law not only in terms of obedience, but by the very fabric of our relationships with one another. It's hard to think of a time when it's been more important to claim our Christian identity by deed and action as much as by word especially as voices much louder than ours continue to try to define what Christianity is, as human leaders are turned into messiahs, as racism, bigotry, power, and dominion are normalized in the daily course of life. So Jesus redefines the law in today's gospel reading and calls us to redefine our relationships, to mend what is broken, to strengthen what is healthy, Because the strongest witness we can offer is how we respond to the newspaper in our hands or the YouTube video in our inbox. Our witness is found in how we respond to what some may call injustice and some may call progress. It's how we respond to our own personal faults as well as the systemic ones that we're a part of. 
It's how we respond to the challenges of this world and proclaim Christ through it all. Those ancient commandments, Jesus tells us today, are a living thing made visible in you and me by our witness and the way we live in Christ through the relationships we curate with God and with the world. They're not meant to be restrictive on us, but life-giving and a joy to all people. As the psalmist says, happy are those who keep God's decrees, who seek him with their whole heart. Try and tell me that's not political. In the name of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.